All right, church, good morning. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're two chapters away from finishing um, our walk through 1 Samuel. And uh, we will go right into 2 Samuel after we, after we do that. So today, we're going to cover the whole chapter. So if you have your Bibles with me, uh, follow along as I read, please. It says, now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, uh, Hinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of, Nabal, uh, of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake, and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the book of, of Besor, where there were uh, left behind, excuse me, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and four hundred men, uh, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted, exhausted to cross the brook of Besor. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. They gave him bread, and he ate. They gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of cake, of figs, and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for uh, three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong? And where are you from? He said, I am, in a, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had a raid against the Negev of the uh, Cherethites and against, the, against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me. By God, that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, there were spread over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped, except for four hundred young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, the people, and the people uh, drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and had been left behind at the brook of Besor. And they went out to meet David and the people who were with him. And when David came near uh, to the people, 
he greeteth them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with him, uh, with David, said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this manner? Or this matter, for as he, his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his. He sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, "Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord." It was for those in Bethel and Ramoth. Ramoth, and then the Geb of Jatir, in Aror, in Sifmoth, in Eshtemoah, and Rachel, in the cities of the Jeremelites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Horma, in Borshan, and Athak, in Hebron, and, and in Hebron, for all the places uh, where David and his men had roamed. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so there's a lot going on in this chapter, 31 verses that I must cover, and um, it, it, it is a, a blessing of a chapter for us, especially when we are talking about the topic or the doctrine of God's discipline. Uh, so I want to use our verse today, our, our, our chapter here, the word from the Lord, to teach us uh, uh, about his discipline and, and uh, uh, the principles of it and also the purpose of it. Uh, David had... Uh, strayed from the Lord, and we have seen this go on for several chapters now, ever since he decided to, le to leave Judah and go into the land of the Philistines to escape uh, persecution from Saul. And he goes over there and says, you know, surely I'll be safe over there. The fact is, is that he's with the enemies of God, and he's made an allegiance with uh, an idol worshiper. And so he is there, and he is being disobedient to the Lord, and um, while being there, he's not fulfilling what he's supposed to be doing for the Israelites. He's the anointed king of Israel. Uh, even though he is not on the throne at this time, uh, there is still responsibility for him to protect his people and watch over them. So we see him stray from his calling, um, stray from, uh, from Saul, stray from everything uh, because of the persecution of Saul. But just at the right time, we see that the Lord comes in and disciplines him and also causes him to get back on track. And when we think about the word discipline, it's not always uh, fun. And it's never fun, actually. Uh, it's, it's sometimes scary. And as Christians, when we think about the discipline of God, uh, sometimes it overwhelms us. We become fearful of it. We have anxiety about it. But the fact is, is that we need it. Uh, when we stray from God, and, and we all do, we all stray from the Lord, uh, he is sure to discipline us in order that we come back to him. That's the blessing that we have. That's his covenant promise, uh, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And we always think of his covenant promise as if, like, when we go through bad things, he's not going to leave us or forsake us. But it also goes on the flip side. The Lord will never make, let us leave him. Does that make sense to you? He's never going to let us leave him. Um, he's never going to let us forsake him. So it goes, it goes both ways. The Lord will be with us. Uh, that's, that's the ultimate goal of the covenant promise. 
So we may wander, but the faithful shepherd seeks us out. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're like sheep and uh, we may wander. We, we get distracted. We follow after idols. Uh, we, we backslide. I can describe it in so many different ways. But the fact is, is that we wander away from the Lord, but the Lord is that faithful shepherd that always finds us and then comes and brings us back home. So when we look at his discipline, we understand that it is unpleasant. Uh, we, we never like say, oh, I can't wait for the Lord to discipline me for this. I've never said that. I don't, I don't think you have either. It's, uh, it's unpleasant, but the discipline of God is completely necessary. It's necessary for us. Because the fact that we stray, because the fact that we sin, because the fact that we lose focus on him, it's necessary for us uh, to go through discipline so that we can glorify God. And then we can also continue to grow in the image of Christ. Uh, without discipline, we would not be able to do those two things. We would not be able to glorify God or grow into uh, the image of Christ in the process. I would say that discipline is so necessary that... Without his discipline, we would be poor, pitiful, and weak. We would be those things. Have you ever seen a child who was not disciplined at all? You look at that child, you're like, man, it's just horrible. That would be us. If God would not discipline us, we'd be poor, pitiful, and weak. That's how much we need it. So this passage, like I said, is really unique because of the way it, it lays out his discipline within this story. Uh, it, number one, it shows us some important facts of the principles of his discipline, but then also it, it shows us like the, uh, the, the produce or the fruit of discipline, so to speak, and then are the product, not the produce. And, and then at the very end, it also talks about how God is faithful to us in his discipline. So let's go ahead and get started. First, let's look at verses one through six. These are the principles of God's discipline. When you talk about a principle, a principle identifies a dominant theme, right? So that's when you say these are the principles of this, uh, you're pointing out dominant themes of that thing. So when it comes to God's discipline, we see a few principles that are always present. This is how you can tell you're being disciplined by the Lord. Now, I will admit it's not always so black and white, but these principles will always be present when you're going through something. All right. So learning about these principles, it helps us to identify, number one, the presence and then number two, the purpose of God's discipline in our lives. Like, for example, when we suffer, we ask what is happening. Right. That's what we ask. What is happening to me and why is this happening to me? Right. That, that never fails us. When we go through something bad, at some point we ask God what's happening because you don't fully understand it. Uh, especially if it's just very tragic, traumatic. You want to know what exactly is happening, and then you want to know why it's happening. Well, the following principles help us answer those questions. Principle number one, God's discipline is just. Okay, that's the first thing that we see in our chapter. His discipline is just, or if you want to say his discipline is right, his discipline is true, those are all the same. Right. Uh, he, in other words, he's completely right in discipline us. He's completely right. So his discipline is just. So in order for God to discipline someone. And when we talk about the discipline of God, 
We are talking about his children because the Bible tells us that he disciplines those whom he loves. So when he disciplines someone, when he disciplines his child, something sinful must have occurred. Right. God would not just punish us without reason. And sometimes we think that's the case. We're like, I haven't done anything. Why is the Lord doing this to me? The fact is, is that we haven't really looked within ourselves to see how sinful we are or how sinful we are being. There always has to be sin in order for the Lord to discipline us, plain and simple. So if there is sin, that means we ourselves are guilty. So that goes to to show us and to tell us that discipline is never unfair. It's never unfair. Parents here, how many times have you heard this? That's not fair when you're disciplining your kids over and over and over again. That's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. And it takes everything you have to say you don't know what fair is, right? But that's what we do as well. We go through discipline and we're like, well, wait a second. This is not fair. I serve the Lord. I attend church. I do all the, I read my Bible. I pray. I, I've, I've checked the checklist. What else is there for me to do? This is not fair. Why is this happening to me? Well, God's discipline is always fair. Always. In other words, he's never wrong. That's one of the hardest things as parents to do when you discipline wrongly. And it happens often. It's, very, it's a very humbling experience. You, you discipline your child wrongly. You feel really bad about it. You wish you could have changed it. God is not like us. He doesn't have to go through that. His discipline is just. It is always, it is, well, it is never unfair. I can't say it's always fair because there's mercy and grace to talk about. But it's never unfair. So in this case, David and his men return home. Right. They return home to tragedy after uh, actually uh, they have been rejected by the Philistine lords. And if you go back to chapter twenty nine, this is where David is going to go and and fight against the Israelites. It's a crazy story of of where David's uh, sin has led him. He's actually with the army of the Philistines going to battle with the Israelites. And the Lord just steps in and says, this is not going to happen. You're not going to go fight against the Israelites. You're their anointed king. And so the Lord steps in. The Philistine lords uh, see David and his men with the king. And they say, wait a second. No, this guy is going to turn on us. He's going to attack us. This is all a ploy. This is what he has planned. So they reject him and send send him home peacefully. And this is where chapter 30 picks up. David's on the way home, and then when they finally get to Ziklag, and I say home, his temporary home, the Bible says that he was there for a little over a year. When he gets there, look at verses 1 and 2. When David and his men uh, come to Ziklag, and these are the 600 men that are with David, the Amalekites, now this is a different set of people, right? They're living within the land of the Philistines, but they also have these enemies called the Amalekites. Uh, they made a raid against uh, Ziklag. Why? Because they knew David was gone. They knew all the strong men were gone, and they made a raid. And remember, David, if you go back a couple of chapters in, in, in 1 Samuel, you will remember that David had been raiding the Amalekites this whole time. 
he had been raiding their land and telling the king uh, of the Philistines, he had been telling them, no, I'm raiding the land of Judah for you. So he was lying and he was raiding the, the, the land of the Amalekites and, and killing everyone there and then taking all their spoil. Well, they, uh, they hear that David is gone and they come to attack David's uh, temporary uh, hometown, so to speak. And so we see in verses 1 and 2 that the Amalekites had made a raid. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were uh, in it, both small and great. When we look at this passage, it shows us that David and his men had been involved in sinning against the Lord. Again, this never, God's discipline never happens to the innocent. So David and all his men were involved in sinning against the Lord for over a year. They continued to go to the different regions and attack people, kill them, bring back their spoil. Well, now they all suffer together. Notice how no one is exempt. The Lord allowed tragedy to strike both great and small. David and all his men were being disciplined by the Lord, and they all suffered the horrible consequences of their sin. God does this to confront the sinner and to let the sinner know, and to let the sinner know that he knows of our sin and for us not to rot in our sin. That's what we have to understand. When God disciplines us, uh, it is never unfair and there is a purpose behind it. His discipline is just. He gives us exactly what we need so that we can realize that we belong to somebody, so that we can realize we have offended someone. And I'm not, I'm not only speaking about the one that we have sinned against, but ultimately the one we have offended the Lord because we have sinned against him. So in order for us not to rot in our sin, the Lord's discipline, he disciplines us and it is completely just. But then principle number two, God's discipline is merciful. Praise God for that. Look at verses two and three. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. You read that and you're like, that's horrible. No, it could have been a lot worse. You notice what scripture says, they killed no one. What had David been doing? Killing everyone. Going into their towns, going into their territories, killing everyone, bringing the spoil home. We got to keep on remembering that. David is not innocent. But when you look at this situation, you see, though the sovereign hand of God allowed for David's people to be taken, he spared their lives. If, I don't, if that's not mercy, I don't know what is. Spared their lives. They come home to this tragedy. Their town is burned. So what? So what? We can build again. This is not even our home. That's probably what they were thinking. We're not going to be here much longer. That's all material stuff. Where are my wife and my kids? Are my, where are my wives in David's, in David's situation and my kids? All the men were thinking that. It would have been the most horrible thing for them to walk into their homes and see the bodies of their loved ones. But they were spared that. 
because the sovereign hand of the Lord stepped in. And instead of having them die, they were captured, taken captive. Well, they can be redeemed from that. That's the sovereign hand of God, the sovereign, merciful hand of God. See, when we are disciplined, it's never without mercy. Even when we feel like this is the most horrible thing we could go through, it it, it could always get worse. And that's something we don't recognize a lot of times. God is so good. God is so merciful. When we look at this situation, you could say, well, the Amalekites were so gracious. No, It's, it's the sovereign hand of the Lord. No telling what they had planned. They took them captive probably to sell them, to use them as slaves, maybe to use them as sacrifices. You don't know what they had planned. It was wicked, whatever they had planned, but the Lord spared them. The Lord spares you as well. In your discipline, he spares you. It's always, it's always full of mercy. That's a wonderful thing about God. Principle number three. Well, before I go to that, the reason why there's mercy in our discipline is that God wants to reform us, not to break us. Does that make sense? He wants to reform us, not to break us. Again, there's always a purpose behind it. Because if the Lord wanted to, to just give us his wrath, that would break us in a sense. That that, that just wipe us out. But he wants to reform us. Therefore, his discipline is full of mercy. But then principle number three, God's discipline is painful. And this is where the, the, the confusion sets in about, well, is his mercy even present? Look at verses four through six. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because of all because all the people were bitter. And so each for his sons and daughters, it's painful. And, And scripture clearly shows us here that David and his men are in pain. First of all, when you read this passage, you need to get the gravity of the situation here. These this is these are hard stone warriors. Right. These are not. These are not guys who are not men, who are effeminate. No, these are hardcore warriors. They, they fight. These are men's men. They come home from the battle. Their city is burned. Their families are taken. And look at their response. They raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. That's extreme pain. Think about the worst thing you've ever been through. Your reaction to that. That's painful. That's what these men are going through. But David, David's even going through it worse. Well, why not? He's the leader. Why would he not receive more? David not only had to worry about or feel the pain about his wives and and his and his kids gone but also he had to feel the pain of the people turning on him they wanted to stone him they spoke of stoning him he was greatly distressed 
And everybody else was just bitter in soul. So since David was the leader, he suffered the most. Think about David right now in this situation. Rejected by Saul. Rejected by King Achish, who was the Philistine king. But most painfully rejected by his people. David probably felt the weight of the world for what happened. Because he knew it all came back to him as the leader. Everything destroyed. Families taken. Remember last week when I said David had actually hit rock bottom but not realized it? Well, David realizes it in this chapter. He's hit rock bottom. He knows it. This is it. See, God makes discipline painful to keep us from sin. See, all those principles are present whenever he disciplines us. And it's a grace. It's a grace that these principles are always present in his discipline. His justice, his mercy, and pain bring about change in a believer. That's why they're there. But we also see fruit that comes from his discipline. And there is certainly fruit here. Look at verses 6 through 10. God wasn't just being mean to David and his men. He was teaching them an important lesson about sin. And here, here it is. And this is something we all have to realize. And, and it's, it's, it's true in our relationship with God, but it must be true in our relationship with each other, in our, in our families. Sin must be dealt with. We cannot let sin just go. It must be dealt with. So with God, he tells us that I will deal with your sin. It will be just. I will be merciful, but it will be painful. He's going to deal with our sin. Think about your kids. You need to deal with their sin. Think about your wife. Think about your husband. Think about your church, your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to deal with sin. It must be just. It must be merciful. It must be painful. Why? To bring about change. To get us focused on the Lord again. We need that. We need that. It's necessary. Or we're poor, pitiful, and weak, right? So we absolutely need that from the Lord. So he deals with sin. If God treats sin that way, then we must also do the same. Because when sin is allowed to run wild, it takes over. It fills every space of the heart and takes command of the soul. We are slaves to sin if it takes command. God's discipline pushes sin out and fills the heart with fruit, with the fruit of God's spirit. The other day, a couple weeks ago, I, I, I looked at my garage and I said, it's time to clean this thing. A garage has a way of collecting things. Amen. Right. Just, it just that's where it goes. You get something and it goes there. Something's broken. It goes in a pile somewhere. And sooner or later, you just it's just full of 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 stuff except for the vehicles that usually go in there, right? And so I looked at my garage, and we don't keep our vehicles in the garage anyway, but it was just, it was just really getting packed. And I said, I need to clean it out today. I spent over nine hours cleaning out the garage. No joke. And it wasn't like I worked for two hours, took a two-hour break. I, I worked, I took some breaks, I ate lunch for about 30 minutes, but over nine hours cleaning out 
the garage. After I was done, I was like, man, this is great. I didn't feel great. I was tired, but this, this is great. I felt like my work was effective. I thought about how we need that very, very often. There's so much junk that we accumulate, so much sin that we don't deal with right away. How many of us have stopped and said, you know what, I need to clean this stuff out? Or how many of us stopped and realized, man, God's cleaning this stuff out of me? He's bringing the imperfections to the surface. We're being refined through fire. It's not fun, but again, it's necessary. Hebrews 12, verse 11 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Amen. In this case, David and his men, through God's discipline, major major change is happening in their faith and then also subsequently in their behavior. God is doing a work in them. And you can can see it happening uh, through the passages as we continue to read. Number one, it resulted in David trusting God. Look at this, verse 6. David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because of all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in his God. That's awesome to read. Because if you go back and you read verses or chapter 28, 29, you see David speaking from his own heart, following his own heart, saying, oh, I, I, it, it's best for me to do this and do that. And here he strengthened by the Lord, his God. And that's happening at the weirdest time. This is when you would think David would follow his own heart, David would give up, but no, he, he, he finds strength in the Lord. Why? Because he's hit rock bottom. He's in this pit. He has no, nothing else to do but to look up. He has nothing else but to do but to look up and depend on the Lord. So though his world has fallen apart, David found strength in the Lord. Before, David followed his heart, and now his trust is in God. Listen, that doesn't happen without God's discipline. Number two, what's the other fruit? It resulted in David seeking the will of God. Not only did he start trusting God again, he sought the will of God. Look at verses 7 and 8. David said to Abiathar, the priest, Oh, well, he hasn't been part of David's conversation here lately, because David's been deciding things in his own heart. But now... He says, Abiathar, come here. I forgot you were here. You're the, you're the high priest. You're God's spokesman for me. Come here. I need you. Bring me the ephod. Right? So what does David want? He wants to hear from the Lord. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. I bet you after David heard those words, he's like, man, what have I been doing? Why? Why haven't I come into the Lord before this? You know how I know that? Because I'm that way too. And I know a lot of the heads are shaking because you're that way too. It's like we get it, we run into trouble, we avoid the Lord, we avoid the word of God, and then we're humbled and we go to the word of God and we're like, why did we ever avoid the word of God? 
We should have never done this. We should have always ran to the word of God. That's what I, I sense David kind of going through here. Before, David was running away from his trouble. But now, he's running to the word of God. Before, David said in his heart and followed the desires of his heart. Now, David says, no, bring me the word of God. Bring it to me. Let me hear it, that I may listen to him rather than do what I think is best. That doesn't happen without God's discipline. And then number three, it resulted in David obeying the word of God. So David not only sought the word of God, but he obeyed it. Look at the trouble he had after the Lord sent him. And then, you know, look at the promise first. Uh, Verse eight, the Lord said, pursue for you shall surely overtake and you shall surely rescue. hundred percent. This is going to happen. If you do what I tell you to do, I don't care how hard it looks. I don't care what you think is going to happen. What I have spoken will happen. Right? That's what the Lord basically says. And David obeyed. It says in verse 9 and 10, So David set out. He set out, first of all, with 600 men who were with him. Well, they came to the first brook, and there they left 200 men. Right? But David, he pursued. Still had 400 men with him. Well, they came to another brook. And 200 more stayed behind. But does David stop? No, he doesn't stop. David's lost two-thirds of his army. I don't know. Does it seem wise to continue to go on to a fight? You don't know how big this band of, 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 of Amalekites were, how big the, this band of army that, that attacked. You, you have no idea. You know, they destroyed your town. He's lost two-thirds of his army, but he doesn't stop. The Lord had told David to pursue and that he would surely overtake them, and David pursued. That's awesome. That's lesson learned. That's sanctification. That's a man who wants to obey the word of God now. Sometimes that's a very hard lesson for us to learn. But again, that doesn't happen without God's discipline. So I hope as I went through these fruits, or these, this, these, this fruit of, of, of God's discipline for David, that you're thinking about situations in your own life. How God's discipline has resulted in you trusting in God. When there was a time where you backslid, there was a time where you walked away from the Lord. He disciplined you and it brought you back to him and you began to trust him again. Or how God's discipline resulted in you seeking his will again. Where you were just, you didn't want to be in his word. You didn't want to pray. You were hard-headed about it. And the Lord disciplined you and brought you back to seeking him. Or how his discipline caused you to obey his word where you were just rebellious, you knew what the word said, you knew what the Lord had told you, and yet you're just like, nah, I'm just not going to do that. I don't feel like it. And then all of a sudden, the Lord disciplined you, and you felt like it. It's funny how a little bit of discipline can help us feel like doing something. See, the purpose of God's discipline is to correct sinful behavior, or to correct a sinful pattern 
in order to restore the sinner. That's why it's just. That's why it is merciful. And that's why it is painful. It's a calibration, so to speak. I use that term one time in a sermon talking about my kids. Um, it's time for a calibration whenever they're, 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 they're misbehaving. And a calibration usually means discipline. When I, I, I thought of that word because at the time I was working in a secular job where meters, equipment are calibrated because they're out of tune. They're not measuring precisely. They're not doing what they were intended to do. And so you got to go back and you got to calibrate these things in order for them to work properly. See, there was something that we're intended to do. There's something that we, cre- we were created for. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So what happens when we're not doing those good works? God calibrates us. He calibrates us. So that we work like we should. So that we function to praise him. See, when the sinner is restored, something awesome happens. He loves and works to please his Savior even more. It's just automatic. When you go through God's discipline and you come out of it, there is a greater love you have for the Lord because you realize that he is just, he is merciful, and he is holy. You realize that. So there's a greater love that that you have for him, a greater appreciation that you have for him. So then, therefore, there are greater works that you do for him. That is the fruit of discipline. Throughout the process, throughout the whole process, God shows himself to be faithful to us. And that's where we'll end our sermon today. God's faithfulness in his discipline. That's covered in verses 11 through 31. After David had his epiphany and gets his head on right, we see the faithfulness of God to help him on his way. Uh, First of all, look at verses 11 through 15. I'm going to paraphrase these, but uh, I'm just really going to explain what's happening here. Uh, When we see verses 11 through 15, we see that God provided direction for David. Think about this. Uh, they, They come to their hometown. It's burned down. Uh, He gets his men together and they just pursue. Okay, so they're in the uh, desert. They're in the wilderness. That's that was that's the definition, a biblical definition for uh, the desert. In the desert, you have no way of knowing where people are. Remember, David's been hiding for over eight, nine years in the desert from Saul. There's only a couple of times where Saul found him, and that was by God's divine intervention. Right. So he is he is uh, he just pursues. And there's this vast desert that they're trying to find these Amalekites. And by the way, these Amalekites, they know how to hide. This is their territory. So uh, David goes and he actually finds somebody. But it's not an Amalekite, it's an Egyptian. Think about the chances of that happening and how he found him so quickly. This Egyptian ends up being a servant. In the, and he's wandering in the open country. Now, God's providence is awesome because you think about the chaining events that follow in, in order to lead David to this moment. 
the Egyptian had to get sick because that's what he says. He says, I got sick and my master left me behind. Uh, and that was three days ago. So he had to get sick. And after he was sick, he started wandering and he had to wander in the vicinity of where David and his men were coming. David and his men were coming and boom, divine providence. David and his men tend to him. They feed him. They show him mercy and they ask him who he is. He tells them, I'm a servant of the Amalekites. And uh, he says, yeah, we raided your people. We took everybody captive. If, I don't, if that's not direction, again, I don't know what direction is because God said you will catch him and you will overtake them. And this is the first sign of that, God directing his path. Again, God is faithful. Secondly, we see God providing opportunity for David, and we see that in verses 16 through 17. Now, it's one thing for God to um, direct his path, but when he got there, just think about this. It was a, think about David only has 200 men, and it's his vast army of Amalekites, and they're armed to the teeth, and they're ready to fight. They're in formation and everything. It would have been for naught. But God is so good that he gives David an opportunity. Because when they locate the Amalekites, they, were, they weren't prepared for battle. They were all spread out. They were all drunk. They were all full, full of food. They were celebrating their spoils. They, they were just, they were not ready. They were not in formation for battle. They probably didn't even have their armor on. They were just really relaxing. It was a party atmosphere when he found them. And David struck them down. The faithfulness of the Lord provided opportunity. Third, the faithfulness of the Lord provided restoration for David, verses 18 through 20. See, not only did David strike them down, but he was also able to, the Bible says, recover all that the Amalekites had taken. And what a great mercy that is. When we sin against the Lord and yet he's so merciful to us that we get to keep what was lost. That doesn't always happen. But when it happens, that's very humbling. Think about this. All the women, all the children, not one was taken. Not one got sick. Not one got overheated. We were shopping yesterday for school clothes and I almost died from dehydration. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I sure felt like I was going to die. When it came time to eat at the restaurant, I, I just chugged two glasses of water real quick. Now, these are women and children in the desert. Babies. Not one of them was taken. Not one of them lost. God restored everything to David. Again, that's not always a guarantee but when it does happen, it's a blessing. We have all sinned against the Lord. We have all lost a lot. And sometimes it has not been restored to us. But what God has given us is gracious. And then, number four, God provided sanctification for David. Verses 21 through 30. David shows immediate growth from the discipline of God. 
Again, he was refined through fire, so to speak. After he goes and, 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 and he recovers everything, he has some of his men who want to keep everything and say, no, they, those who didn't go to battle with us, they're just going to get their women and children back. We get to keep their stuff. David says, no, you don't understand what's just happened. You're, you're dull in your thinking. You don't realize that we did not win this battle. It was the Lord who has given everything back to us. It is the Lord who has been faithful to us. So then, therefore, since it is by grace through faith, we didn't earn it. That's someone else's stuff. Give it back to them. Then he's like, you know what? I also, there's spoils from the Amalekites that I just need to share with everybody. Well, David beforehand was keeping everything to himself. He'd go, raid, kill, and take, and keep it all. But now, David's like, I need to share this. And he goes all throughout the territory just sharing these gifts. Goes through all, all through Judah sharing these gifts with his people. And it's awesome to see that. It's awesome to see growth. Well, that wouldn't happen without the Lord's discipline. See, through God's faithfulness, anything is possible with him. And that includes our growth and our perseverance. If you believe in the perseverance of the saints, if you believe that, that God will finish his work in you, that God will keep you from beginning to end, if you, feel like, if you, if you believe in the doctrine of I, I will not lose my salvation because God is the one who holds my salvation, if you believe that, then you have to understand that the only way that is possible is because of God's discipline. Because our, we want to wander. Again, we want to walk away. We go after idols. We are not faithful to God. And through his discipline, he continues to keep us with him. Through his discipline, we come back for him. The well that never runs dry. He refreshes us. He puts us back on the right path. See, discipline is a mercy from God. We don't often think of it as a mercy, and we don't often think of it as a blessing, but when we read Scripture, that's exactly how it is depicted. Not that it's pleasant, not that it's desirable, but the result of his perfect correction does an amazing work in our lives. That's why I said it is necessary. God's discipline is never pleasant, but always necessary. And I finish with the words of Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. That's true for all of us. Let us pray.